Flint Hill Baptist Church exists to glorify God by gathering, growing, giving, and going in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Find out more at flinthill.net. Anyway, I'm so glad that you're here. If you got your Bibles, open them up with me to John chapter 1. <clears throat> this morning in this series, Encountering God series, is going to be a little bit of, a little different. Uh, it's going to look at, we're going to look at Peter's encounters with the Lord, and he has many of them. And we don't, we're not going to document every single one of them, and, but it kind of, my hope this morning is to kind of walk through a little timeline with Peter. And I, Peter, Peter's life and story just kind of sets itself up well for multiple encounters with the Lord that we can kind of look at and glean at. And I'm really kind of going somewhere, but I, but I want to kind of fill in the story first. As we get there, and you're going to turn with me to several passages of Scripture this morning. John chapter 1, <clears throat> beginning in verse 35. <clears throat> this is the calling, what I would say, the conversion encounter. In other words, uh, uh, let me just read this to us in John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day John was there. This is uh, uh, John the Baptist with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, and he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, he had said this previously uh, added, who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them and turned to them. I love this conversation. He says, what do you want? I mean, they're just following him. What do you, what, what do you want? Who are you? I mean, basically is what the conversation was. Uh, it's interesting. Jesus asked that same question to us. What do you want? It's interesting. Anyway, another story. All right. So he said, well, he said, Rabbi, he said, where are you staying? He said, come and you'll see for yourself. He said, come on with me. So they, so they went and saw where he was staying, spent the day with him, basically walked around with him, spent the whole day with Jesus. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, verse 40, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard uh, what John had said about, look, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world, and who had what decided to follow Jesus. Verse 41, the first thing Andrew did was go find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now, what I love about this is, that obviously, in this moment, uh, Andrew, the brother, uh, when he comes to know Christ, the Messiah, the first thing he's concerned about is his brother. And uh, I'm so thankful for family that is concerned about brothers and sisters and daughters and sons and moms and dads uh, for them to know Christ personally. I think you have no greater influence and opportunity than to pray for and to lead your family to Jesus Christ. Andrew was not satisfied just knowing Christ himself. But, he, but the first thing, he couldn't help it. I mean, I can, I, can, I can see it right here. I got a brother of my own, and he loved his brother so much so, right? And so what does he do? If he really loves his brother, he's going to go tell him, we found the Messiah. Come see for yourself. And he brings him to Jesus. I love that. He kind of coerces him. He says, come on, you got to come with me. We talk about gathering every Sunday. He reached out there and gathered. He went after that one. He went after uh, his brother, Simon, and found him and said, Come on, you need to meet Christ. Uh, I'm sure y'all remember Albert McMakin. Y'all remember Albert? <clears throat> I don't either. I just wrote it's in the story. <laughs> Albert McMakin uh, actually uh, was just a local fella. Uh, and uh, in Charlotte back in 1934. And uh, he, he, he knew the Lord, loved the Lord. And, uh, and there was a revival meeting going on. 
with Mordecai Ham. You know, uh, Albert got real concerned about them unruly teenagers out there in the town. And, uh, and so he went after them. In fact, the story goes, he loaded up his truck with a truck full of teenagers and took them to a revival meeting that night. And it was on this night, a young Billy Graham got drugged along with him in that truck. And it was on this night that Billy Graham, at 16 years of age, gave his life to Christ. Yeah, most of us don't remember the Alberts. I'm sure most of y'all probably know who Billy is. And I'm sure all of you know who Peter is. Here's, here's what I want to say to all of us in this room here today. You never know. You never know who you're going to meet, who you're going to see in the highways of life. You never know. It might be at the gas station. You might be going to get groceries one day, and you have no idea who you're going to have a conversation with. But it may be the next Billy for the church. It could very well be. We don't know. Albert didn't know that. He just was burdened over the Lord. What He, had, he knew Jesus, and he felt like other people needed to know Christ, so he went after him. He didn't wait. He loaded up the truck and said, I'm going to go pick them unruly teenagers up, and Billy was one of them. And they came to faith in Christ that night. Thanks, thanks be to God for those folks in our life. Amen? For folks that prayed for us, didn't give up, I mean, I could go on and on here, right? Uh, thank you, Lord. I, could, I, I want to mention, I don't talk about her very much, my sister, Vicki, right? Uh, she's about a, a little over a year older than me. Sometimes we butt heads. That's just how it happens in families. But I'm so thankful that she gave her life to Christ because it was called part of her witness that I came to faith in Christ as well, right? So anyway, so I just want to praise the Lord. All right, so... So turn with me now to Luke chapter 5. Because now, now we see that Peter came to, to the Messiah. Go to Luke chapter 5. I know it's a little Bible drill time. I'm going to try to get there. No, I don't have them marked in my Bible either. <clears throat> my kids say they need them little tabs in the Bible so they can get there quicker. Uh, do y'all remember the Bible drill times? Do y'all remember that? I, remember that. I don't. I wasn't in church back then. I'm sorry. I just remember them talking about it. I remember talking about it. <clears throat> I remember my first youth pastor. They had Bible drill for the children, but I didn't. I didn't grow up in that. But anyway, that's no, it's, it's a good thing. I wouldn't say I'm good or bad. I mean, y'all, hang with me. All right. I digress. Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 1 through 11. Uh, let, let me just kind of read this story uh, for us. This is the calling encounter of Peter. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, it's all uh, the Sea of Galilee. It's named several different things in your Bible. With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats, two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. They were done. They'd been fishing all night. He got into one of the boats belonging to Simon, of all people, and asked him to put it out a little from the shore. Now, Simon obviously knew a little bit about Jesus and uh, had, had heard him, obviously had come to know him. And so he was being responsive, and he said, Okay, here you go, Lord, use my boat. There it is. And he pulls it out. They sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he told Simon, he said, Simon, Put, that, uh, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for the catch. And he'd been fishing all night. You know, some people say that Jesus might be meddling a little bit now. I mean, Peter, now look, Peter's a fisherman. Jesus is not a fisherman. He's a carpenter. What does a carpenter know about fishing? He's been fishing all night. But look at this. He says, uh, Simon answers. He says, Master, which I love the word there. I don't know what you think about that, but he certainly saw him as one who controlled him. He wanted to honor him, and he wanted to be obedient to what he asked him to do. He said, well, look, we've worked hard all night long and had not caught anything. It's been a rough night, Lord. 
Master, but, but here it is, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. I mean, remember, they were cleaning them up. They were packing them up for the day. Now they got to unpack everything back out, put it back out there. And when they'd done so, here it is, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they had to, what, they had to signal for their partners, y'all come on, we got a big catch here. Filled up both boats so, uh, so full that they began to sink into the water. I mean, this was a catch like no other, right? Now, when, when Simon Peter saw this, what does he do? He falls on his, on his knees before the Lord. He says, go away from me, for I'm a sinful man. Probably says a lot about Peter in this moment. He probably had all kinds of thoughts and doubts and concerns about what he was being asked to do. Probably conflicted on the inside. But in this moment, when he encountered the Lord in this moment, conviction of his own sin, selfishness, uh, arrogance maybe, even knowing what was the best thing to do and how to do it. All of a sudden in this moment, he's overwhelmed by his own sinfulness. Um, and Jesus said to Simon, he said, don't be afraid. He said, from now on you'll catch men. So they pulled up their boats uh, to the shore, and they left everything and followed him. So this is what I would say is the calling encounter. In other words, there came a point in Peter's life, it wasn't just salvation and trusting Jesus and as the Messiah, but now God had a purpose and a plan for his life. And on this moment, in this day, it was a clear decision. I need and must follow Christ. If I'm going to walk in a manner that he's called me to walk in, I can't, I can't be out here doing my commercial business of fishing anymore. And he literally left it all to follow him. Now, I'm not saying one bit. Please hear me. I'm not saying that God's going to call you to quit your job tomorrow and you've got to leave everything to follow him. I'm not saying that at all. But he may. I can't say he won't say that. In Peter's life, it was that clear of a calling, and it was that dramatic of a calling. All right, so here we go. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. We might as well hit another gospel while we're here. Matthew chapter 16. I call this the challenge encounter. Uh, if you know anything about Peter in his life, he was somewhat impulsive at times. And in Matthew chapter 16, what I love this, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I've got it down here in verse 21, but I just want to back up just a moment in your Bible uh, to verse 13, because when Jesus came into this region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Who, who, what are they saying about me? This is what, basically what he's asking. And some said, well, they, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others, Elijah. Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. I mean, you've come, I mean, you know, I mean, there's all kind of rumblings going on what this Jesus is out here. But then he turns a little bit, and I love this about the Lord, because he does this to me and you. In other words, it's not about what the crowds say and what people around me say, but it, it, he draws it right in. He says, he says, but what about you? Mm. Who do you say that I am? Boy, at this point, it gets real personal, doesn't it? Anyway, so what I love about Peter, you know he's impulsive, he speaks up, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he blessed him. He says, that, that's, you're blessed, Simon. Because why? Because this, this was not revealed to you by man, but my Father in heaven. And once he just lifts him up before his peers in that moment, he says, you're right, Simon. You're right. That's a wonderful thing, man. You, 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 you're, there's a special revelation of who I am that's been brought to you by my heavenly Father. And he, and he, and he, and he somewhat celebrates the moment with him. You can imagine Peter. I mean, he steps out all the time, but this time he got it right. And he's like, oh yeah, I got it right. And the Lord's pleased with him. Now hold on. Now go back, to, go down to verse 21. Because right on the heels of that moment, 
Things turn a little bit in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That's the gospel. Y'all have heard that before. I'll keep preaching it as long as God gives me breath in my lungs. I'm going to keep saying that's the gospel. But what's interesting is what Peter does in verse 22. Because in this moment when he said, now remember, he's coming off his high. And in this moment, Jesus says this. And Peter, the Bible says, takes him to the side. He kind of brings him over here. He like gets, around, gets away from the crowd here for a moment and pulls him over to the side and says, man, we need to talk about something. I mean, basically, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. He pulls him to the side. And what does he say? Uh, he took him to the side and began to rebuke him, the scripture says. And that's interesting. I mean, it's not the Lord rebuking, it's Peter coming at him so strongly. In fact, you'll see in your Bibles, there's an exclamation part, point there. Why? Because in the, in the, in the scripture, in the, in the text, he is animate. Never, never, never is that going to happen. Never. It won't. Over my dead body is basically what he's saying. Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. Interesting at this point, Jesus knows who he's talking to. Peter is, even, uh, Peter is unaware of how he's being used and influenced even by the enemy at this point. What, what, what do you mean? He's trying to get, the same thing Satan's got, he's trying to get him to do something other than the cross. Friend, there's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to be forgiven of sin, set free from death, hell, and the grave. And that's through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. His death and his resurrection. Hallelujah. That's why we're alive today. That's why we celebrate today. Peter, bless his heart in this moment. Bless his heart. He really is passionate. He's like, this, they're not going to do that to you. They're not going to do And he has no concept in this moment. He is so emotional. All he can think about, they're not going to treat you that way, Lord, over my dead body. It's not going to happen. All right, so uh, turn back to the uh, uh, turn, uh, turn to Matthew chapter twenty six. I'm gonna call this the confident encounter. I know, I know. Hang with me. I know it's a lot of little turning here and there. The confident encounter. In other words, here we are again, Matthew chapter twenty six, beginning of verse thirty one. Uh, and this is this is the Lord's supper. This is that the uh, right before they're about to Jesus is about to get arrested. Uh, in verse 31, Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep and the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. That's what he tells them. Peter, here it is. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will, Lord. I never will. It ain't going to happen. I'm here, man. No matter what, I'm going to stick with you. I'm loyal. I'm here. Probably saying the same thing that all the others probably wanted to say, but didn't. They thought it, but didn't say it. Bless his heart, Peter just going to come out his mouth. And he meant it. He meant it. Don't get me wrong. He meant it. Listen, can we just be really honest? We probably said things before, too, that we really meant. But Jesus, Jesus, Tells him, he says, I tell you the truth, surely, surely, here it is. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter can't even deal with that. He says, oh, no, no, no. Even if I have to die with you, I will never, ever disown you. 
Never. Won't happen. Turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I know, hang with me. We're about to rest in just a moment somewhere, I promise. Luke chapter 22. The conviction encounter. Here we go. There's been many opportunities in life, but here we go. Luke chapter 22, verse 54. Then seizing him, meaning Christ, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, he sat down together. Why? To warm himself. He's right there. He's in the midst of them. Peter sat down with them. A servant girl, a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. Peter goes, Uh-huh, no. I, I, I don't know him. Meaning, gee, I don't know him. What are, you, what are you talking about? A little bit later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. You are. I know. You are. He goes, I am not. <laughs> about an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this man was with him, for he's a Galilean. He's not even around here. We can tell. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Now, hold on. He's so close to the Lord. Look at verse 61. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter when the rooster crowed. Now, I know. I know. Let me say it this way. The eyes of the Lord can see us wherever we are. You can't outrun him. You can't run away. You can't, I don't care where you are. He knows exactly what, where you are, what to do. And man, when those eyes get turned on you in this moment, it can be very tough. The conviction of the Lord in this moment, all of what Peter promised, all of what he said he would do, all of a sudden it just falls away. Look at verse 62. You can see, you can see how it breaks him up. Peter goes outside and weeps. Bitterly. He's broken. He's broken. All right, turn to John chapter 21. I promise I probably won't make you turn to another scripture. It's okay. You're thinking, good night. We're working extra this morning. The conviction. All right, uh, this last one is where we'll finish. I call it the recall or the restoration encounter. John chapter 21. So, Again, this is after the death and resurrection of Christ. Jesus appears to the disciples multiple times. In fact, uh, it, there seems to be a period of time here where the Lord reveals himself, but then, bring, then discloses himself. So he's not like always with them all the time. It just kind of comes and goes, it seems. He reveals himself. And even after the resurrection, he seems to uh, um, have that ability to just make himself known or not. He kind of disguises or people can't really see him at times and then they're like oh yeah that was him wasn't our heart strangely warmed while we were with him you remember the road the road to Emmaus they didn't really know who it was who it was well here it is so verse uh chapter chapter 21 of John verse 1 after Jesus appeared to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias sea of Galilee it happened this way Simon Peter Thomas Nathaniel uh the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were there together now, they're all sitting there together, hanging out. It's been some season of time. Not exactly sure exactly how long is time since the resurrection. They've already seen Christ before, the resurrected Christ. Now he's not with them. But you can kind of get the sense they're kind of struggling with what to do in this moment. 
So Peter, at this point, on verse 3, he says, oh, I'm going out to fish. And they said, well, we'll go with you. Now, Peter's always been the leader of the group, and here again, in this moment, he leads them and leads them out to go fishing. So they went out, got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing, which was, we've seen that before happen. I mean, I guess it's not a guarantee if you go fishing, you may or may not catch something, but obviously they were trained professional fishermen, and that was their, they knew how to do that, but they struggled that night. Early in the morning, verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples don't know it's him yet. They just see someone out there on the shore. And he calls out to them. He says, friends, have y'all got any fish? And they go, no. Now in verse 6, he tells them to do something. He says, throw your net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now let's hold on just a minute. I don't know. There's, there's nothing super spiritual about the right side or the left side of the boat. You know, some commentators want to say, was there something special about that? I don't know. I think he just said, throw it out on the right side. I think they were, I think they were done. I think they were coming in. They hadn't caught anything. They'd hauled the nets up. And he said, throw them out on the right side. So they turned them nets loose over there. And instantly, here's what happens. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now here it is. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, you see that through this gospel, said to Peter. He said, hey, it's the Lord. Now at that point, Peter, what does he do? He, he puts on... Uh, what is he? he wraps what his outer garment on, right? He would have been, he'd been, he wasn't naked, but he was out there, you know, in his kind of short, he didn't have shorts, but he had on the shorts underneath the garment. He wraps himself up in his outer garment and takes off, jumps in the water, starts heading towards him. The other disciples come in the boat, towing this net, uh, uh, the net's full of fish. The Bible says they're about 100 yards away. That's a good swim. But anyway, he's swimming away. He gets there. When the boat landed, he saw, look at this, he saw a fire burning with coals with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of those fish you just caught. So they bring them all, and, and there's 153 of them. Again, commentators are like, you know, what's the big deal about 153? I honestly, I think they just counted them all. I think most common, I mean, come on, it's the biggest catch they've had ever in their life. I'm sure some one of them fellas says, well, how many are they? And they counted every one of them. It was a massive haul of fish. And what I love about this in this restoration process, that the Lord not only meets the spiritual need, but the physical need of Peter. What does he do? He prepared a meal for him. He sat him down by the fire so he could warm himself, dry himself up. You know, the wetness of the clothes, the, the long work all night long. He was able to eat something to satisfy that physical hunger. And then at that point, this is where it happens. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, here's the question, do you truly love me more than these? Most commentators would say, what, what is he talking about more than these? Could have been that 153 Piles of fish over here could have been the boats, the nets, that vocation, that lifestyle, everything that you had known before. Do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He, appeared, he knows the Lord knows everything. He says, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And he said, well, take care, or ten. To my sheep. Third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The Bible says Peter was kind of hurt because he keeps asking over and over again. He says, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Now, a couple things here. 
in the restoration process, love, let me say it this way, love has always been the primary mark of the believer, of a Christian. Primary. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Matthew 22, Jesus said the greatest thing we could do with our life, what we call the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And that is the first and greatest. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus went on to say in John 3, in John 13, in this gospel, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. Love has always been the central theme, element, indication that a person knows Christ personally as their Lord and Savior. The love of God made manifest in our hearts and minds. Now let me hold on just a minute, because I've met a lot of people that demonstrate compassion and love and don't know Christ at all, and I get that. Uh, I don't think any of y'all ever met my dad. Um, I don't think he came the last time I was here. He passed away about a year and a half ago. Uh, he didn't come to faith in Christ until he was 62 years old. He resisted it for a long period of time. Long story. Here's the deal. When I was growing up as a child, if you'd have known my dad, you would have known that he cared about people. Now, he was one of these what they call shade tree mechanics. Everybody in the community would come over there and ask him to help. He'd loan out tools that never came back. He'd stop what he's doing and help somebody else work on their car. Da, da, da. He, he, he cared about people. Did all kinds of stuff in the community for the school. And I'm not, I'm not building him up. That's just who he, if you knew him, you, you knew that he, he loved people. But please hear me. Just because you do good to others and demonstrate that kind of love to others doesn't mean that you're going to make it to heaven. Now, I had to have that conversation with my daddy just like I would have one with you and say, look, just because you're good and you help somebody doesn't mean you're going to get there. There's only one way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, I remember going into that hospital room. I, I, can, I can tell you the date, January 10th, 2003, walking into Shelby Baptist Medical Center. And I'm reading John 3, 16. He about comes up out of the bed and goes, I believe, I believe. I'm like, okay, let's. I mean, I'm weeping. I'm, it's a moment. But make no mistake. To say you love Jesus and you don't live a life of love, there's a problem. Why? Because God is love. He's made that real clear. He's demonstrated his love. He's deposited his love for us. The evidence of genuine love is obedience. Peter finds himself in this moment. He hasn't been doing what the Lord called him to do. And now, now in his graciousness, Jesus is coming back. You remember, it was three times he disowned him. Three times he affirms him. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. And you know, you know the similarities are going on here. When he was called by the Lord, God, Jesus created this massive amount of fish. I mean, here we are, the same thing again. He knows the similarities. He knows what's going on in, in this moment. And Peter knows, I haven't been obedient to what you've asked me to do. Peter needed to understand something, too. Even though he had forsaken Christ, which he did, Christ had not forsaken him. Thanks be to God that our relationship, our love relationship, our salvation is not rooted on my obedience, but by faith in Christ. Paul would say it this way, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law, the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. We know for a fact, according to Luke 24, 34, and 1 Corinthians 15, 5, that Jesus in one of these moments had already met with, met with uh 
Peter privately. We see that in the Scripture. We don't have a whole lot of record of it other than it's referenced in those two places in the Bible. But we know he had met with him in some sense, kind of processed this, you know, uh, forsaking him in some sense, but now it's coming, coming back to him, restoring him to his calling that he set him apart for. And I love this, right? Just as Peter publicly denounced Christ, he's inviting him now to publicly profess Christ and to restore him in this moment. Three times he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Henry Blackaby says this, our relationship to God this love relationship is the single most greatest important aspect of our life. If that, if that is not in order, nothing else will be. Nothing else will be. Now, what's interesting in this little scenario, there's a little wordplay going on. Now, y'all know the word agape. It's used in, in, in the scriptures as love. That's that, that's that sacrificial love. It's the love that God demonstrates for us. It's that agape. It's a total commitment love. When Jesus says, do you love me? Peter comes back with phileo, which is a type of love. I'm translated love in your Bible just the same. It says love here, love here. But this one's more like an affectionate love, like a friendship love, like something like that. But it's not the total surrender, submission, sacrificial love that over here. And some commentators would say that because of where Peter is in this moment, he has a hard time resonating with that same love that Jesus says, do you love me like this, like the way I love you? And he's struggling here for a moment. He really is. We, we see the struggle in the Greek text because in this conversation, you've got Peter that's struggling with, he, 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 he denounced him, he, he, he said he was going to do all things, but he failed, and now here he is, he's not even doing what he's supposed to be doing, he's out in a boat fishing, and he's off, in the, and here's the Lord's calling him back, and he's struggling, mentally and emotionally and spiritually. And Jesus in this moment is trying to remind him, look, this is the love that I love you with, this is the love that I want you to love me and others with, this love. And so he restores him in this moment. And, and let me just say, it is, it, it, it's a struggle none of us are immune to. When he recommissions him, he says these words. He says, feed my lambs or tend to them. It's a term that's used for herdsmen's pastoring or feeding livestock. We are likened to sheep, whether you like that or not. Jesus uses that illustration over and over again. And, and Jesus reminds Peter of his responsibility to feed the lambs. How do we do that? By preaching and teaching the Word of God. Right? He said, take care of them or shepherd them. And, and, and it refers to that pastoral oversight of making sure their needs are met. They're okay. Again, he says, feed my sheep. Three times the emphasis emphasizes the completeness of the restoration. Now, in this moment, you can see this. We get a glimpse into Peter's Yes, his denial, but in his restoration. Now, we ain't even got to Acts when God's about to use him in an incredible way in Pentecost. But it's in this moment that he's restored to that place that God called him to be. And I'm so, I'm so grateful for a God of second chances. Maybe three, four, five. I mean, how many? That God, that God is so gracious, so kind. Gavin, if you'll come up, if you will, at this moment, or worship team, come up. So in this moment, I just want to say this as we kind of bring this to a close. 
As we glimpse into Peter's life, I mean, some of these takeaways here is this, that God knows exactly where you are and what's going on in your life, and he will, he will chase you down. He came to the seashore on his own admission. He came there finding Peter on that day. You know, I don't know every one of you here in this room. I don't know what's going on in our world today, but I want you to know that God loves you with an everlasting love, and he cares for you like you have no idea about and I just want you to know, man, I mean, listen, God loves you, has a plan and a purpose for your life. Just like he called Peter to, to preach and God used him mightily. You, but God may, may allow us to be Alberts in the world. And maybe nobody will remember our name. But maybe God will give us an opportunity to share Christ, share the love of Jesus with somebody. And we have no idea of the fruits of that for eternity. I'm convinced one of the, some of the most people that will be blessed in eternity are my prayer warriors. The people that don't even get recognized. You don't even know who they are. They're here today. They're here because you wake up in the middle of the night and you're praying on behalf of somebody. They don't even ask. You, God puts them on your heart. For all of us here, wherever we are, When Jesus restored Peter, he reminded him of the death that he was going to die. And he was going to die a crucifixion death. History tells us that. He died, he died on the cross for preaching Christ, and he did. History tells us that he didn't want to go the same way that Jesus did, so he got hung upside down. In this moment, you would think that would be a morbid thing to do. You just reinstated him, just reminded him. But then he says, but you know what? One day somebody's going to lead you to a place you don't want to go. But he said, Peter, you know what the most important thing is right now? It's not about when that time happens. It's about right now, right here. Here are these words. He turned to Peter and said, follow me. Follow me one day at a time. Seek to follow me. Father, right now, we just come before you in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, for all of us here. God, that you would speak to our hearts. God, that we would seek to follow you. God, have your way in us. Open our eyes to see where you're at work all around us. God, enable us by your Holy Spirit to live and to follow you wherever you lead us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. If y'all will stand to your feet this morning. We're going to have a time of response. We're going to sing this song. Friend, if you're here today and you need to come to the altar, you come to the altar. If you need to profess Christ, then please do that. Follow through believer's baptism. Then praise the Lord. Whatever God needs to do in your heart, just open your heart up to the Lord as we sing this song unto Him.